Father, this morning we come to you. <clears throat> the entrance of your word always brings light. Help us, Lord, to open our hearts and our minds that your light may enter. Show the darkness in us. Sanctify us. Cleanse us of that darkness. Because the answer to darkness is light. Because no darkness can stand before light. And you are light. And your word is light. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Help us to see life as you see it. Help us to believe and know though we are seated here physically in the church, in truth we are seated with you in the heavenly places. Help us to see as you see. Then truly we will be able to tell our soul, be still and know God is God. Speak to us this morning, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Remember we have communion, so be prepared for that too. And may the word of God provide us. We've been looking at this series on liberty. Today we are looking at the liberty we find in marriage. Whether you are single, what you are looking for, whether you are married, what you should be expecting for. <clears throat> Marriage is the, at the top, institution for God on earth. Because the Bible begins with a marriage <clears throat> and the Bible ends with a marriage. Chapter 2 of the Bible begins with a marriage. Chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, the bride is getting ready for her marriage. In chapter 21 of Revelation, you see the bride coming down. So in between these two chapters are the rest of history. So the word of God begins with the marriage. The word of God ends with the marriage. Everybody sitting here who is saved, whether you like it or not, is either preparing to be the bride or preparing to attend the wedding of the bride. Let's hope you get a chance to be the bride. (coughs) Revelation 19 and verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Read it carefully. Wedding of the Lamb has come. Christ's wedding has come. And the word of God says, His wife has made herself ready. So whether you are single or whether you are married, you are preparing for something. Preparing for something. No? You are preparing for something. It says the bride made herself ready. And every ministry of the word of God is a preparation for that day. It's a day. It's for that day. The original Swayamvara, all the Indians know what it is, where the king or the prince chooses his bride. Okay. And you, you know our history. That's what the girls from the noble families were always preparing. The king's eye would fall on her. They all stood. The king walked through 
and he picked one girl. (coughs) You can prepare for it. The biggest one. Bible says we can prepare for it. So please remember, the Bible is all about a marriage and a home. God is a father. Jesus is represented to us as a son. And like we said last evening, therefore by the process of elimination, the third person in the Trinity takes the role of a mother. Okay, a role of a mother. So these are the three offices in a home. The father, the mother, the child. So if you want to know, depending upon the one or multiple offices you hold, what you are supposed to be, if you are only a child and not married, how should I be? Study Jesus. How he was in relation to his father and to the spirit. Both. If you are a father, study the father, how he is in relation to his children, Israel and the church. And if you are a mother, study the Holy Spirit. Just go to the titles of the Holy Spirit itself, you will realize what your role is. That's how you prepare for a life on earth. Because there's a family in heaven where there is a father and there is not mother in feminine terms, but the role of a mother, the Holy Spirit and a son. And that family on earth and the angelic host, everybody is getting ready because the boy has come of age. He's come of age. Okay? He's 40 years old. I still got married at 40. He's 40 years old. It is time for him to get married. And the job of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual aliaser, is to find Rebecca. And where? The Holy Spirit waits. Eliezer waits. He waits outside the town. And he makes, kneels down by the well. We know what the well signifies. It is the wells of salvation. And the water signifies the word of God. And the Holy Spirit is looking for the girl who comes first and early and to draw water from the wells of salvation. So don't ever discount the ministry of the word because your heart and your desire for the water of God's word will ultimately determine where you end. Okay? Get these pictures. There are these pictures. I said Isaac is 40 years old. If you put one year has 50 years, because 50 years is a jubilee in Israel. Is we don't follow Jewish festivals, but they have spiritual significance even for us. Today is the 5th of September. Wednesday the 8th is Rosh Hosanna, the feast of the trumpets. The Jews do not know what it is. They celebrate at the outward form. We know, we are waiting for the feast of the trumpets. When the final trumpet blows, the church is gone. And whether we be left behind or gone is in our hands, not in God's hands. He says, make yourself ready to go. Okay, so Wednesday is Rosh Hosanna. So understand, these pictures are there. So if 50 years is a jubilee and Isaac is 40 years old, spiritual is 40 years old, you get 50 into 40, you get 2,000 years. So Isaac is 40 years old, is 2,000 years old. The time for the bride to get ready. Is here. The bride has only the 
time left to put the final touches before she is presented. Okay? In the beauty parlor, you know. Final touches. Though I have never been there, I have had many in my house. Every wedding. So the final touches are over. I pray for that girl and we send the girl off. So I have seen those final touches. Okay, you have only that time left. And please remember, like in every wedding on earth, the same thing continues. It is the bride who keeps the bridegroom waiting because she is delayed. Not the bridegroom. So the first thing you need to understand, the importance God attaches to marriage, it's because of its significance in eternity. Bible begins with a wedding, it will end with a wedding. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 and 32, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is there in Genesis 2.24. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why is it important? Because it's a mystery. Marriage is a mystery. It, every marriage on earth, Christian marriage on earth, is symbolically represents the marriage of Christ to the church. That's why marriage as an institution is the most attacked institution by the enemy and the world system. And the world system wants to change the entire definition of marriage. And every Christian wedding is under constant attack because the devil knows what it represents on earth. It represents the union of Christ to his church. So understand, now we have let the format about why it is so important to God and therefore we attach that importance because God considers it important. Whenever Jesus was asked these questions about marriage or divorce, anything connected with marriage, he did not go to the law of Moses. Though they lived by the law of Moses. He said, it was not so in the beginning. He refused to go. When Satan came, he went to the law of Moses and said, it is written. But when marriage was asked, questions about marriage was asked, he did not go to the book of Moses. He went right to the book of Genesis chapter 2 before the fall begins and he says, it was not so in the beginning. He says, this was how it was in the beginning. So whenever you ask Jesus about a question, he will refer you back to Genesis 2. That's where it all begins. Marriage, everything begins in Genesis 2. If our Savior, our Lord, our God, and our future, if you are blessed, bridegroom, refers to Genesis chapter 2. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, right? 3 onwards is the fall, the breakup of the marriage. 2 is how it should have been. Let's, yeah, can we have that echo off? Is it because I'm going there? Okay, I shall not go there. Is that Sammy's order? Fine, I accept it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone and I will make him a helper comparable to him. First lesson about marriage. It's not your and my idea. It's God's. Because marriage originated in God's mind, man does not have the autonomy to change its definition. It is God's idea. It's not man's idea. It is not Adam who said, it is not good for me to be alone. It is God who said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. So go to the source. Marriage is not man's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Therefore, it is a divinely instituted 
institution and man cannot tamper with it. You do not have the right to tamper with it. So understand the first premise from the first statement God makes after Adam is created. Remember, this we looked long time back ago when God created man. He did not create woman. He created a man. He made a place. He made the trees, the provision, the garden of Eden, the trees, the provision. And then he put a person over there. And then he gave him a purpose, watch and tent. These four things. And then he set a perimeter around the purpose and said, you can eat all these things, but you cannot eat one. So these five things were set. And when I teach, teach other churches about marriage, the seminars I take, I said, that's the first thing you need to look. Men. Because it begins with a man. It doesn't begin with a woman. Marriage doesn't begin with a woman. It begins with a man. Do you have a plan? Do you have a purpose? Do you have provision? You don't have... Don't get married. Don't get married. First man need to have a place and a purpose and provision before he gets entangled with somebody else's life, brings her into his life. First be very, very clear. The man, it's spoken to the man. Till, till Eve is created, everything is spoken to the man. So man has to be very, very careful and very serious. When we do our weddings, we make that statement. It should not be entered lightly. It should not be entered lightly. It's a preparation for all these things. Of course, we didn't know. Most of us did not know these things. But now that you know, if you're already married, go back and put it right with God. Because there is a verse in the book of Acts you can stand on by saying, the seasons of ignorance God overlooks. Okay. Now that I have told you, you are no longer ignorant. So there is nothing to overlook. Therefore, don't overlook. Look into it. So the first thing God says over there is that, This is God's idea. Premise number one. Second premise, I will make him a helper comparable to him. If you go to divorce courts all over today, it's very easy now. Made it very easy. The government has made it very easy. One of the most, our lawyer, young man is not here, I think. No, he has not come today. If you ask our, to be lawyer is only here. The other lawyer, the certified lawyer is not here. You will see one of the conditions they put over there is is non-compatibility. Irreconcilable differences, non-compatible. But that's what the first thing God said. You need to, I will make him a helper compatible to him. Okay. So all young men who is not married, ask God, the girl you bring, you bring into my life should be somebody who is compatible to me and who will help me in your divine purpose. We are not talking about worldly marriages. Hmm? Boy met girl, girl met boy and both ran away. We are not talking about that. We are talking about kingdom marriages. Okay? Purpose. Thy will be done on earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy name be hallowed in my marriage. Okay? And like I said, God is the God of mercy. Those who goofed up, God is the God of restoration. So look at that. Look at that picture. God is a God of restoration. Second premise is, you need a spouse who's compatible, who compliments you. And she is a helper. Okay? She's a helper. And don't feel bad about this term. Helper, ladies, because women power is increasing, ladies, don't feel bad. Because that's the same term used with the Holy Spirit. 
That's exactly what Jesus says. I will tell the Father and he will send you an helper just like me. What does he mean? Compatible. You can compare him to me. What will be the Holy Spirit like? Exactly like me. Exactly like me. Comparable. Compatible. Okay? A helper comparable to him. That's the second premise that is put over there. Third premise you go to verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on. Did I look at verse 20? Yeah, found, but there was not found. The same thing, same, the second premise is this, helper, comparable. He looked at everything. So you also need to look around. Men need to look around. And don't pick people who are not comparable to you, compatible to you, spiritually or otherwise. He looked. God brought every living creature to Adam. And Adam named them. But he could not find somebody who was compatible to him. Who would help him in the God-given purpose. Okay, he couldn't. Okay, so God says, it's good to look around. Yes, Harry, don't look around too too young to look around. Okay, but keep these ideas in your mind. He's smiling away there, okay. Okay, verse 21, third premise, second premise. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. What is the third premise? Third premise for men, believing, surrendered men. Believing is not enough, surrendered men is that your marriage is God's responsibility, not yours. That would of course apply to the girls too. If you are a surrendered child of God, your marriage is God's responsibility. Let's go to the beginning, as Jesus said. Your marriage is God's responsibility. Next premise, verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made it into a woman, and he brought her to the man. It is his initiative, not yours. Next Sunday, we will look how he does this. But this Sunday, we are letting the setting the premise. Okay? It's not your responsibility. You can pray about it, fast about it, all that. But the responsibility lies with him. And the initiative lies with him. It doesn't say that uh, Adam went wife hunting. It says God brought the woman to him. And he's still the same God and he never changes. He still brings the girl to the men who are surrendered to his will and he brings. That's how Rebecca came to Isaac. Or you will end up with a Rachel. Not this Rachel, Rachel. <laughs> like Jacob ran after Rachel and all he had was trouble. Okay, Remember? And then, the next fifth premise, it's in verse 24. Therefore, we'll, we'll leave verse 23, because that is Adam's words. Emotionally, Adam can say many things, flesh and flesh and blood and bone and all that. Okay, later it became soup. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we'll leave Adam out. We are sticking to God. Look at what God said. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. If you go KJV version, it's beautiful. Okay, I like KJV, particularly this verse. 
God, the fifth premise is God who instituted the marriage sets the terms of the marriage, the relationship. What is that? He shall leave, he shall cleave and they shall become one. These are the terms of the marriage. That's why the other four is so important. Other four is so, so important. So the purpose of marriage, the ultimate purpose or the end product of marriage should be oneness or unity. It's a process, not that it, it automatically becomes, but it is a process. And at the end, not at the end of your marriage, somewhere down the line, the people become one. And when the two become one as a person, power is released. Because the power of God, which other marriages don't have in Christian believing marriages, is the two of you agree on anything on earth. It shall be done in heaven. The entire universe is held together because there is oneness in the Trinity. That's why the, 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 the proclamation to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Elohim is one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's no division in them. There is one. Out of their oneness, Brings out everything. And you know what? He wants that to be reflected in Christian marriages. But if that is your purpose, and out of that oneness comes dominion. How does God exercise dominion over the earth? The Father, through the Son, through the Spirit, exercises dominion over all creation because they are one and he spoke that same blessing over man and woman and said, exercise dominion. How does it come? From your oneness. From your oneness. You exercise dominion. Understand purpose because if you don't understand purpose, we will not. And that's the fivefold blessing to man given in Genesis chapter 1. The Lord blessed them and he gave them fivefold blessing. Fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion. Okay. Why? Because that's how God does. He exercises dominion over his entire creation because of the oneness in the Trinity. Oneness in the Trinity. So don't miss out on this purpose. And if you're already married, you still can reach that goal. Because if any man is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The old failures have all passed away. Behold, he makes his marriage new and understand the vision and the purpose. Surrender it new on the altar to the Lord and allow God to change your marriage so that God's purpose for Adam and Eve can be fulfilled through all of us in our little spheres which God has given us. All this man was supposed to do, Adam and Eve were supposed to do under God, not outside God. So what the devil told Adam and Eve, his subtle lie was that you can exercise dominion without God. And that's how the fall takes place. So instead of dominating earth, when the fall came, now they are competing each other and the husband is trying to dominate the wife, the wife is trying to dominate the husband and all you have is chaos and fireworks. The whole pub, dom, dominion is still taking place, but it is not over the earth, it is over each other. 
And it goes all the way to the top of secular systems, governments, and are trying to serve the people. They say for the people, by the people, of the people. It doesn't work like that. It is all domination. The most democratic system is also not about serving. It is about suppression and about domination. You know why? When you take God out of the picture, that's what finally happens. Okay? So that original purpose still stands. Still stands. But only under God. So last Sunday, two Sundays back, we said, the issue always is lordship. Issue is lordship. Are we under the lordship of God? Do we agree to the lordship of God? Not God. The lordship of God. So the first premise about marriage after these five premises is that if you want these objectives okay, to be fulfilled in your marriage, the first thing you have to do is come under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ in your marriage, individually and together. So before Paul will talk about marriage, uh, the rules within the marriage in Ephesians 5, 22 onwards, he puts this statement in 21. 5.21. Ephesians 5.21. I didn't give it, Dr. Richard. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, that is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Got it? That's the key verse. Whether you are single now, or whether you are married, there is a way. Like I said, all our trouble, Christians' trouble, is with lordship. And as long as we do not allow God to exercise any area of your life where Christ is not Lord, you do not have peace or control over those areas. It's impossible. Lordship. The man God used most after Jesus, of course, that is Apostle Paul. He was single. Look at him, how he begins his Christian life. In Acts chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. His first statement. Who are you? Lord. Then the Lord said. Not then the God said. Who are you God? Then God will speak to you. Who are you Lord? Then the Lord will speak to you. Many people hear from God. They are not hearing from the Lord. Because when you hear from God, it is a saying. When you hear from the Lord, you know he has commanded you. And you are surrendered. Who are you hearing from? Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord spoke and said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Verse 6. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Lordship established. And after that, he never looks back. Never looks back. And God is able to speak to him. Clearly. More than he spoke to any man. Could speak to him. Speak to him. So if now, in your heart, if you want to speak it out, you accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, over every area of your life, whether you are single or married, 
he will be able to speak to you otherwise take a good secular lesson so the first question is lord should i marry or not if you are single because you have in the bible to jeremiah god said don't marry okay don't marry and if he says marry the second question should be lord whom should i marry whom should i marry let's go to the very familiar verse romans 12 1 and 2 romans 12 1 and 2 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to the god which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world in terms of marriage don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good acceptable and perfect will of god so first this is would you please surrender do you want a good wife do you want an acceptable wife or do you want the perfect wife i have for you not that she is perfect or you are perfect but that is the perfect match i have for you you can marry a good wife it will be a good marriage you can marry an acceptable wife it will be an acceptable marriage in god's sight or you can marry a perfect wife and it will be a perfect working out of god's purpose in your marriage so before you can step forward the question of lordship needs to be accepted it is only discovered through surrender The will of God is only discovered through surrender, a surrender of your body daily and a surrender of your mind. And since marriage is the second most important decision you will ever make, the first being your salvation, the second being whether you should get married or not get married, because this is the second most important decision you can make, it will affect not only your life on earth, it will also affect your rewards in heaven because how your life plays out okay so it, it, it though marriage until to until death part you its ramifications goes beyond death beyond simple the first man to be raptured enoch was taken alone because his wife was not a perfect wife she was left behind and he was taken alone okay so your marriage will have ramifications beyond this life so don't think about it lightly be very very serious the most comprehensive chapter in the entire bible of talking about a kingdom marriage i'm talking about a kingdom marriage is first corinthians chapter 7 If you study that chapter, go back. All those who are single, all those who are married, read that chapter. There are many chapters, okay? But one of the most comprehensive chapters is Corinthians seven, First Corinthians seven. You will see if you read the Bible, marriage is the rule, and singleness is the exception. Singleness is not the rule. but marriage is the rule because why god said in the beginning it is not good for man to be alone so marriage is the rule but singleness is the exception 
But because of the times we live in, and the church has been in for 2,000 years, you have to hear from God. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, actually puts singleness above marriage. Or the Holy Spirit does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Okay, he puts, compares them to him and says, it's good for you to remain single. Okay, we'll see the reason why he says so. Verse 37. Nevertheless, he who has, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. And verse 40. All the bachelors are staring at me. Okay. But she, if it's a woman, if she is happier, if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, I think I also have the spirit of God. So whether you are male or female, he says, if you choose to be single, it's better than getting married. But remember this. Verse 7. I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift. The word Greek gift over there is charisma, meaning singleness or celibacy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have it, get married. And you have it, don't get married. Because you operate or you live according to the gift the Holy Spirit gives you. So it's a gift. It's a gift. You want to be single? You ask Lord, Give me that gift. You hear about all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nobody talks about this gift. And two of the most powerful men ever used by God in the New Testament were single. One was Jesus. The other was Paul. Okay. They were both single. And why? Why does he say that? Look at 7.35. And this I say for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Because it is not easy to get the perfect wife or the perfect husband, according to God's purpose for you. So, it can become a distraction. Ultimately, what are we here for? To glorify God. And you look at the great men in the word of God. The great men in the word of God. Jacob's Life was a mess. You know why? Because of his marriage. But he had to marry because he had to bring forth Israel. So in his case, singleness was not an option. Only thing, his parents and he goofed up. His father was not like his grandfather. So, goofed up. Moses' ministry was hamstrung by his wife. Prophet Samuel's ministry and the necessity of anointing a king before his time came because his marriage was a mess. His marriage was a mess. Understood? That's why the people asked for a king because they said we do not want your sons to be judges. That means the issue was in the home. And they asked for a king before his time because God was already preparing a king for him and his name was David. But David, Saul had to come before David because Samuel's home was messed up. 
Okay, home was messed up. So understand how it works. That's what I said. I'm speaking to those who have put the kingdom first, who truly from their hearts pray and mean the Lord's prayer, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will, here am I. That's Apostle Paul. Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, stay single. Well done. Good for me, Lord. Whatever you say, your desire is my command. It's fine with me. It's well with my soul. Or get married. Jose, yes, Lord. I have to teach Israel a lesson. Good Lord, should I go preach? No, you get married. Your marriage will be a lesson. Whom should I marry? A prostitute. It's well with my soul, Lord. Why should I marry a prostitute? Because Israel is a prostitute and I'm married to her. So your life is my lesson. It's well with my my soul. That's what you're talking about, surrender. Lordship. Okay? Whether you remain single or whether you marry, we have kingdom. And the kingdom rules over the affairs of men. Daniel will say. Daniel was single, we believe. I believe Elijah was single. Elisha was, must have been single. Daniel's three friends must have been single. Okay? So whatever state you are in now, that is lordship. What does the Bible say in verse 17 and verse 24? What does it say? Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Wherever you are, stay there. Don't jump into anything. Just stay where you are. And if you are married, if you read the same chapter, God does not, even if your spouse is unbelieving, God does not allow you to leave. Unless the unbelieving spouse goes, God says, let them go. You are free. You are free. Okay? So please understand. God says, wait. Whatever state, if you are single, wait. Don't jump. Wait. And verse 24 says the same thing. Brother, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called until you hear clearly from God. Receive direction from God. Okay? Do not move either way until you hear. Why? Because your marriage is more important to God than it is to you. What does the kingdom marriage mean? Isaiah verse 8 and verse 18 signifies it best. Here am I. He doesn't talk about his wife because they are one. They are one. Here am I and my wife. Not Mrs. and Mr. Isaiah. No, one. There's only one here. There are not two. Here, the Lord. Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Here, O Israel, Father is here, Son is here, Spirit is here. They never say that. We are one. They speak in one voice. And Isaiah says, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. That's what God is saying. What is a family on earth for God? God's family on earth is a sign and a wonder to the nations. A husband and a wife have become one. And the children they are bringing up in the fear of the Lord, they are a sign and a wonder to the world. That's the kingdom marriage. So all those who are single, if you don't have the gift of celibacy, say, Lord, you know what, Lord, I'm willing to wait. I want a kingdom marriage. I want a kingdom marriage. Get your premises, premises right. Okay? And if you're already married, understand the purpose and say, Lord, I surrender my marriage for the kingdom purpose. And I surrender. Change me, Lord. Don't say, Lord, change my spouse, then I'll become better. No, change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. And I surrender my children into thy hands every day. Change them, Lord. You know what? Lord, we want to be a sign and a wonder for you. It's not about 
us, it's about you. It's about your purpose. And you need to believe. You need to believe. Okay? I didn't give it to you. I think it's Matthew 23, 18 or 19. Power of surrender. All of you listen. The power of surrender. 23, 18. Yeah. Uh, go to 19. It's 19. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. That's a powerful truth over here. Imagine this is an altar. When you come, imagine this entire carpeted area. That's why we put the carpeted area. It's up to you. After service, before you go, you want to come there and surrender each Sunday. You can do it. What happens is the altar sanctifies the gift. So it does not matter what all you wear and what all you have done. At the act of surrender, it is not you who sanctify the altar. The altar sanctifies the gift. That is the power of surrender. The power of surrender is the altar. When you surrender to Christ for Christ's purposes, you are sanctified by the altar. Set apart. And then God starts working. Remember yesterday we were looking at the, the point of set apart. You are set apart. When you come to the altar and surrender your marriage, your marriage is set apart and God starts working on it. But he cannot work on it unless you have surrendered it. When you surrender your children, doesn't matter what they are now, where they are now, it does not matter. When by an act of faith you surrender your children every day on the altar, the altar sanctifies them. It is not the the child sanctifies the altar. It's not that your gift sanctifies the altar. Let me give you the example. Do you see this? The offertory? You had that money in your pocket. And it was dirty. Maybe you earned it the right way, but it was not the same currency. We don't know whichever ways it has come to your pocket. But the minute you put into this, it became holy. You know why? This made it holy. This made it holy. Your money now is sanctified. What sanctified it? Your very act of surrendering it. This is the object. In This is like an altar into which you surrendered your money. What does it? This makes it holy. Now it is set apart. It is not like the rest of the money in your pocket. But the Bible says, when the part becomes holy, the rest becomes holy. When you have given what is due to God, the rest of your salary becomes holy. Lord of people do not have enough in their life is because what belongs to God, they keep it. And therefore the rest of the rest of their money never becomes holy. Understand how this works. Why do we say surrender, 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 surrender? It's because what the altar does to you. The altar does to you. Even if it's in your house, every day you go on your knees and surrender your life, you're set apart. That's why the Bible says in Romans 12, what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice daily. Offer it. You know what? You're constantly being sanctified without you knowing by your very act. And then, of course, there are other things that needs to follow. So, whichever way you go, singleness or marriage, the sign, the visible sign, which you can actually know, actually know, you need to know. One thing is theory, another thing is understanding it as being practical. The proof of the pudding is in the eating, okay? You can watch as many videos of puddings you want. It never satisfies your tummy. 
So what is the proof? The proof is Colossians 3 and verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That is the thing. You will know when you have really. So it may take you 100 times to keep on coming and falling before God in your home or in church. One day, the peace of God takes over your heart. You're not bothered anymore. You know God is in control. Now the peace of that, what does it mean? The government that is upon his shoulder has also entered into your life. Now he's ruling. He's reigning. What is the visible sign of the reign of Jesus Christ in a person's life? It is peace. Your mind and nothing has changed outside. Everything is in turmoil. But you have peace. That means he has entered into the scene and peace comes. That's what Jesus was trying to teach them. It's a storm. The waves are high. The water has entered the boat. The boat is sinking. He just stands up and says, peace. Everything is still. And you will know. Suddenly you are still. Has everything changed? No. But the storm has stopped blowing in your mind and your hearts. The reign of Jesus Christ has practically come into your life. Whether you are single or whether you are married, Jesus has entered into that home, that life and says, I take over. I take over. Now all you have to do is listen to me and do what I tell you. Okay? So surrender. For God will, if you are married, he will renew and restore for his glory. And if you are single, ask for two gifts. What are the two gifts? The gift of charisma, of being single and married and single both have to ask for the other gift, which is also the gift of the Holy Spirit, the most needed gift of the Holy Spirit in the church. The fear of the Lord. Without the fear of the Lord, your marriage will not work according to God's ways. Christian marriages do not work the way God intended it. It's not because you don't have money. It's not because you don't have houses. It's not because you don't have vehicles. It's not because you don't have provision. It's because you do not have the fear of the Lord. That's what the first thing Paul says is submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Okay? So remember the Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher. And this is what the word of God says in Ecclesiastic 4, 9 to 12. Now, if you are married or planning to get married, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold God is not quickly broken. Unlike now you can put it in the secular realm also. Have you noticed that many, many, many Hindu marriages, many, many Muslim marriages, many, many marriages of other religions work out very well? Because it's a yoke between two people. Their objectives are very, very simple. And they function very well. Our marriages are not simple. Our marriages are complex because the objective is the kingdom of God. Not every marriage, Christian marriage. I'm talking about genuine, surrendered, kicking man. Into that what happens, a third strand comes. It is the spirit of God. And if you have seen a cord with three strands, you will see two strands are actually intertwined against the middle one. That is Jesus Christ. The spirit of God comes into that marriage. And that threefold cord is very difficult to break. But it looks like one, but it is three. 
it is three. That's what the Bible is talking about. So when you look at a Hindu home, you will say they are very happy, which is fine. They should be happy. Because then they are, and many Christian lives also are also just like them, and just like the others, and they are very happy. But if you look at their objective, their objective for all these marriages is the same. What? I want to get married, I want a house, I want to have children, I want a car, I want to go shopping, I want my children to study well, I want to get them to grow up, I want them to get good jobs, I want them to get married. It's just a simple cycle. There's no purpose there. All the purpose is earthbound. There's no divine, eternal purpose in their marriage at all. And people who are content with that, are content with that. Our marriages are not like that. If you are only satisfied with that, marry whoever you want. It will work. And God won't intervene in your marriage. He says, go your way. So we are not talking about other marriages. Other marriages are happy. They can be happy. But it is limited by earth. You look into any marriage. Even check your own minds. What are your expectations? I want to get married to a nice, good looking boy, good looking girl. Then he needs to have money. Or we need to make money. We need to have a house of our own. We need to buy a four-wheeler. When we have children, they need to go to a good school. They need to get jobs. And after they get jobs, we need to get them married. And then we need to have grandchildren. What is different between you and the kingdom of God? Nothing. Everything is the same. Same cycle. Well, the women in the old covenant, starting with Eve, is all groaning to bring forth a son because they know it's connected with the Messiah. Their marriages are completely different because they all know there is a promise given that the seed of the woman will crush Satan. So they are all groaning in the Old Testament because it is connected with the kingdom. In the new covenant, the kingdom has already come. The king has come, the kingdom. Now what it is, the kingdom has to be established through our lives and through our marriages. Thy kingdom, thy name, thy will, thy glory, thy power, thy praise. So we, I and my children, says Isaiah, are a sign and a wonder. Purpose is different. So you have to choose your purpose. God won't push you. I will. God won't. So God has not changed. That's why the devil is after the unity in a Christian marriage. Proverbs 18.21. Abigail, you have many years to come. Go, okay, but listen carefully. Okay. Okay. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Like I said, the initiative is with God. He brings a woman to a man. Therefore, when God writes, he writes from that perspective. He who finds a wife. Guess what has he obtained? So, how do you read this spiritually? Meaning, you and I, I am married already, you who are not married, we are dependent on God's favor to find the right mate. We are dependent upon God's favor to find the right mate. And if you don't find the right mate, you call it checkmate. (laughs) You are dependent upon God's favor to find the right mate. I'm just trying to give you young people, so many of are unmarried. If I were to ask you to put your hands up, most of you are unmarried. Many have a good start. And those who are married, I don't think here is anybody here whose wife is not a believer or husband is not a believer. He can renew and restore. 
So all of you have hope, whether you're married or single. Everybody has hope and your God is for you and God is for your marriage and God is for your children. He's for you. Because it's not his, your idea, it's his idea. He didn't, I, I didn't institute it, he did. So sit there with hope and with expectation because God, if there is one institution God is for on earth, you know what it is? It's for the home. Because God is a family man. And Paul says, I bend my knees to the Father on the family in heaven and earth takes his entire name, identity. At the end, what you're going to have is a home and a family. That's why I always tell people, love your home. Doesn't matter what it looks like today, love it. Proverbs 19 and verse 14. Houses and riches are from inheritance from fathers. What can fathers give you? Money. Honey, honey. What can they give you? Money, houses, inheritance. They can leave you an inheritance. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. Fathers can't give you a prudent wife. Only God can. Only God can. Because fathers are limited. They They will check all those things, but you can still go wrong. But God never goes wrong. A prudent viveki. That's the sound word in Hindi. Vivek. Just go vivek. A prudent wife. Not proud wife. Prudent wife. Is from the Lord. The question is. Do you want a prudent mate? Proverbs 31 verse 10. 11, 12. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? What's a prudent wife? She's virtuous. Her worth cannot be calculated. Worth cannot be calculated. Why is her worth not being calculated? The heart of a husband safely trusts her. All men, think about it. A wife whom you can trust with your heart. Why? She he will have no lack of gain. Verse 12 will tell you. She will not does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Well, let's put it the other way. Because you find a husband whom you can trust with your heart. Who will never do you evil, only good. Let's put it both ways. Put it both ways. Can trust. Can trust. What is the biggest issue in marriage? Trust. What is the biggest issue in relationships? Trust. I don't trust you. Gone. balloon It's a trust issue. Okay. And that's that's the issue in marriage. That's what happens after the fall. Adam doesn't trust Eve. Eve doesn't trust Adam. Both are blaming each other. And competition. Instead of dominating the world, they started dominating each other. And Bivan power begins in Genesis 4.1. I have brought a son with the Lord's favor. I didn't need you, Adam. Without you, I got one. Gone. Finished. From there, trouble begins. By the time it goes to the next generation, one brother tells the other brother, I also don't need you. You go to hell. But he went to hell. His brother went to heaven. Okay. Understand how it works. Now let me explain to you what it means. 
prudent wife it's a wise wife wise wife it works in every relationship every any relationship you look any relationship working relationship you look there is a head that's a head okay when a wife submits to the lordship of her husband when he knows he can trust her then he will ask her and listen to her counsel otherwise he will not if the inspector in the police station does not trust the sub inspector he will treat him like an employee and not as a trusted colleague trust is important if you need to receive counsel that's how it works okay the husband should be seeking the counsel of the wife but he will listen to a counsel only if he can trust her and he will trust her only if she submitted to the lordship and when the lordship is not there he will not receive her counsel that's how it works that's how it works with god too lord why don't you speak to me he says because i don't trust you you surrender to my lordship and i'll speak to you i don't give opinion this is the opinion of the court no it's a judgment we had a 5-4 ruling in the us supreme court and four of them against five so the court ruling came in favor but the four others wrote their opinion their opinion is not a judgment it's just an opinion it has no validity in law some lower court can pick up on that opinion and make a judgment which will be corrected again in the supreme court but those four wrote judgments which are only considered as opinion the five majority ruling is a judgment and the nation goes by the majority ruling which is the judgment you want an opinion god doesn't give opinions because it's not a 5-4 majority in heaven it is 1 is to 3 3 is to 1 it's one the three are always one there is no disagreement so he only makes judgment he only makes and we need to be surrendered to the lordship of jesus christ and in the home according to god god's order there has to be a surrender first one another to the fear of the lord and after that the bible says wife submit your husband in all things as unto the lord then he can safely seek your counsel a prudent wife that's a prudent wife Ephesians 5:22 and Peter 3:5 to 6 wives submit your own husbands as to the lord now why did we start with the wife because god started with the wife see whenever it talks about submission god always goes to two and not to one okay that's how he works that's how he works Okay so I can't change God's order because most of the people sitting in church are women let me talk to the men but God says I spoke to the women first you better speak to them first Okay Lord so I have to agree to the lordship of Jesus Christ and not change scripture because in my bible 22 comes before 24 I don't know how it is written in your bible You can use an arrow like this and an arrow like that it still doesn't change <laughs> Wives submit your own husbands as to the Lord. And in the entire new covenant and old covenant there are many holy women. One woman is named by name. Point. For in this manner in the former times the holy women who trusted in God, how did they trust in God? By submitting to their husbands. 
Not their husbands were perfect. Actually, many of them were more than imperfect. And also adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah. See, you cannot have submission and disobedience. Submission leads to obedience in the Lord. Okay? Obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and not afraid with any terror. No fear. That's what I said, trust comes important. Lordship, trust, all goes together. Find a woman who does not come under the lordship of her husband and does not trust him. She lives always in suspicion, fear, doubt, anxiety, worry. And God says, that's not my plan for you. That's not. My kingdom rules by peace and joy and righteousness. Okay. So now let me speak to the daughters of Sarah, if there are any. Who are you? Daughters of Rachel or daughters of Sarah? Not Rachel, let's put Eve over there. Rachel is sitting right at the front. <laughs> there is no Sarah here. No? Okay. <laughs> oh, Rachel's daughter is Sarah, by the way. <laughs> what did Sarah call him? Same word. I know you laugh. That's why your, your marriage is also laughter. It's a joke. I asked last time, go to Genesis 18, when did Sarah call him Lord? When did Sarah call him Lord? Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. When? God has visited. And he's talking about the promise, next year this time you shall have a child. Sarah heard and laughed. And within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old. When did she call her husband Lord? At the age of 90. It took God 90 years before Sarah would submit to the lordship of her husband. Then God visited and said, now I will touch your womb. Because your son, this son is kingdom purpose. I could not do it till now because you had not submitted to the lordship of your husband. I am telling you children, if you do not submit to the lordship as God has appointed you, you may have a happy marriage, a good marriage, a loving marriage, but you will not have a kingdom marriage. It is impossible because if it did not work with Sarah, it will not work with you and me. It will not happen. So you can choose what marriage you want. It took 90 years. 90 years. By then she's dead in her womb. Her husband is an old man. It is irrelevant to God what the condition of your marriage is. You may have written it off. But the minute lordship comes in, God intervenes and resurrection power flows in and your marriage changes. And the kingdom of God purpose starts flowing through that marriage. Because God has become the lord of that marriage, of that home now. These are truths. You cannot skirt it. You cannot go over it. These are truths in the word of God. And I know women have issues about it because of the, of the abuse that has taken place. But you cannot hide under that abuse because your marriage is not that. You can't look at the what is happening in the world and change your behavior. He says, you know what, I am not of the world. I will not be conformed to the world. Instead, I will be renewed in the mind and I will find, yes, when I am married, it was the good will of God. But you know what, with God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, I will change my marriage from the good to the perfect will of God. And he can do it. Otherwise, you have Ishmael. Ishmael will grow. Ishmael will be blessed. But you will not birth an Isaac. Isaac will not come. Isaac is of God, by God, for God. 
Shmuel is not. He is by the world, for the world and of the world. He is big. He will be blessed. He will have lots of money. He will get good jobs. He will make a lot all that. But he will never be counted by God. Because God says, my covenant is with Isaac, not with Ishmael. <coughs> not with Ishmael. Get these pictures. True. Because they are true. So when we come to that, <coughs> why is it so? Why is, we have, don't look at the world, put the world aside and all the ideas of the world aside. Why does God say to the woman, submit? Why does he say? You see, it's because of the position. Like I said, in the Trinity, Father is God, Son is God, Spirit is God. They are equal. But the Father is the head. If you do not have a head, leading becomes difficult. And it is very difficult for the leader to lead if the followers don't submit. Getting the picture? If the followers don't submit, it is very difficult for the leader to lead. So what did the son do? When the son comes to the earth, he was exactly the way in heaven too. He says, Father, behold, I have come to do your will. You know what? You are God. I am God. I submit to your leadership, your headship, everything, all the way to the cross. Whatever you say is law for me. Is he equal? Yes. Otherwise, you cannot lead. And what does headship mean? Okay, Men have a completely wonky idea of what headship means. That's where the problem comes. I'm not talking about our men. I'm talking about men. <coughs> biblical men. Our men are biblical men. Okay, Almost. 1 Corinthians 11.3 I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. All men, listen carefully. Though though you have a head, this, your head, actual head is Christ. Your actual, meaning you get your cue, C-U-E. You're leading from Christ. You are a praying man. You are a man who has learned to hear from God. Hear from God. Why is it so important for the man to hear from God? Because without hearing, you cannot lead. Because you are not the head, he is the head. Because if you lead without hearing, it becomes often dictatorship. It becomes tyranny. The breakdown of patriarchy happened not because the position was not wrong and the leading was not wrong because they stopped hearing. Then it became tyranny. It became dictatorship. When you hear from God and lead, then God's order comes. God's order comes. So what does headship have to do with? The headship has to do with responsibility. Do you know who ate the fruit? Who plucked the fruit? Eve. Who ate the fruit? Eve. Who gave the fruit to Adam? Eve. Whom did God come to? Adam. He didn't call, Eve, Eve, where are you? No. Calls Adam, Adam. He doesn't ask the first two, three questions to Eve. Fourth question, third question only to Eve. Where are you, Adam? Doesn't know God know who did it? Of course he knows. Why does he ask Adam? Because he is responsible. You are responsible for your home. You are responsible for your home. 
So men be responsible. You're responsible. Whether you like it or not, you are responsible. The entire mess in Afghanistan, who is responsible? Biden. It's his decision. He's responsible. The others only obeyed orders. He's responsible. So whoever makes a decision is responsible. Whoever is the head is responsible. That's how it works in the government too. Some subordinate may have made the mistake, but when the question comes, it goes to the head. And the head has to look around and says, who made the mistake? They don't go checking for the subordinate. They ask the head, we heard this error happened in your department. Where did we get all these principles from? Genesis chapter 3. Now, why is it so important? Now, daughters of Sarah, married or unmarried, listen. Numbers 30 is the principle. Okay, Numbers 30. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word and he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Period. Okay? Then, the next verses. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth. She's not married. And? And a father hears a vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself and her father holds his peace. Then all her vows shall stand and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. Verse 5. But if a father overrules her on that day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. Understand the principle? Difference. Unmarried. Girls. You made a decision. Father said no. Your decision does not stand. Men make a decision. Your decision stands. God will hold you accountable for what you said. But you make a decision and your father overrules. God says your decision does not stand. That's a principle. Six to eight. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and the husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. Verse 8, but if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow, which she took and what she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Whether you are single or married, this is the, what is this? This is the question of responsibility. Question of responsibility. So understand where God is coming from. God is coming from. Understand where God is coming from. This is how it works. So when he talks about headship, he says you what? I will hold him responsible. Eve took the fruit, whatever it is, and gave it to Adam. Adam held his peace. He's now fallen together with her because he held his peace. On the other hand, he could have overruled her and said, no, I am not a partaker of it. God says you are free. Maybe she also would have been free because her husband has overruled. 
understand how it works. This is how it works. This is the principle on it which works. So when God says, wives submit your husband, why is he saying, if you don't submit your husband and he keeps quiet because he wants peace in the house and you take on this decision, I tell you, I will hold him accountable for every decision you have made and where he kept quiet. So submit your husband. Submit your father. Are you getting it? This is a principle on which the kingdom of God works. These are principles. These don't change. That's why I said, think kingdom. Think kingdom. Think kingdom. Think kingdom. Because I'm talking about kingdom. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the kingdom. So when we, when we get this fundamentals, we will understand why does God ask certain things from certain people. From men, he asks certain things. From women, he asks certain things. Because that is how the kingdom is framed. Where you do not have a kingdom which is based on rules, laws, commands. All you have is chaos. All you have is chaos. All you have is chaos. So get this. So to the men, God says, you know what? You better learn to come under the headship of Christ. So that you don't be judged for tyranny. And he tells to the wives, you better come under the headship of your husband. Be a prudent wife. Be a virtuous wife. That's what he says. So the first law of marriage, the first law of marriage is in Genesis 2, 24. Marriage or any, it's universal. Okay. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one. Okay. Now let me put a rider over here. When God is saying this, he's not saying it to Adam and Eve. Then Paul would not have used it in the book of Ephesians. He's saying to all men. Why? Adam had nobody to leave. Eve had nobody to leave. So it's not for Adam and Eve. It's for all of us. This is the first law of marriage. For this purpose. Therefore. Therefore. What is that? Therefore. I think it's Derek Prince who says, whenever you read therefore in the Bible, you should ask, why is it therefore? Therefore. What is that therefore? What is that purpose? For the sake of the kingdom. When you come to the new covenant, therefore, for the sake of the kingdom, to bring praise and glory to the king, and not to say for the world, but for the glory of the king and the kingdom, a man shall leave. The first thing is leave. What does leave mean? Go back and listen to yesterday's message. Leave means separate. For the first one, leave, there are rules. Rules of separation. Second is cleave. That is fellowship. There are rules of fellowship. And the third, they shall become one, is intimacy or communion. There are rules of communion. We are going to have communion in a very short while. Technically, you know who takes communion? Those who have left and cleave to the Lord. They come become one with him. And the body of Christ becomes one with him and one with another over this table. This is the third part of the rule. This is not the first one. 
Why are we all here? Because you left. You have left. You separated from the world. At least in the body. Mind, I don't know. Are you separated from the world in your body? Yes. In your mind? There is a living. There is a living. And there is a cleaving. And there is this unity, this communion, this intimacy which takes place. It takes place. And the first thing is separation. Let me see what I wrote earlier at 3 in the morning. Intimacy needs fellowship. Fellowship needs separation. Separation demands truth. And truth has fallen in the marketplace. Let's go backward. Intimacy needs fellowship. Fellowship needs separation. Separation needs truth. What are you separated from and what are you separated unto? By truth. The truth shall set you free. We are talking about liberty. What happens with truth is that once you the truth hits you, you have to make a decision. And your decision will decide what you are separated from and to whom you are separated. That's why Jesus says the word of God shall sanctify you. What does it mean? Set you apart. Set you apart. And it's constantly setting us apart. Setting us apart. Setting us apart. Setting us apart. Which should lead to greater fellowship. And if greater fellowship is not happening, according to the rules of the book, because all fellowship is not fellowship, then it leads to intimacy. And when intimacy happens and prayer takes place, things start happening in the spiritual realm. That is communion. That's communion. And that's how God leads his people. I have to put the idea, I, I have to put, you see, I cannot lower the bar for even myself. When I speak this message, maybe thousand people hear it and one may take it. But that message is for that one. Because the word of God says very clearly, the eyes of the Lord are ranging back and forth looking for one person whose heart is stayed on him. Not on the hundred, hundred who are not interested. So from the pulpit, the servants of God cannot bring the bar down. And what has happened to Christendom is the bar was brought down for the sake of the people and what we have is chaos. God says, keep the bar over there because I set the bar. You don't lower it. You don't lower it. And that's where the bar starts. And we need to understand how God leads. Whether you are single or whether you are married, there is a way in which God leads. Because we all want guidance, right? All guide me, O Lord. Lead me, O Let me tell you, there are two kinds of guidance. The first guidance is general. That applies to all Christians everywhere. The second guidance is specific. Specific guidance is something God gives a certain child in a certain situation. It does not apply to others. The truth is that we need both. I need general guidance. I need specific guidance. What is general guidance? It is the word of God. It is the word of God. The problem is this. Let me tell you the problem of unanswered prayers. If you do not go by the general guidance, you have no right to expect specific guidance. Yeah. So many people are stuck in the rut because you do not go by the general guidance. 
So you cannot be given the specific guidance. So if you reject the general guidance of marriage, you cannot expect specific guidance of marriage. Are you getting the picture? What's the general guidance of marriage? Second Corinthians 6.14. Everybody knows it by heart. What is that? Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. That's the general guidance. I mean, if you're thinking about marrying an unbeliever, don't expect, Lord, which one? He said, pick anyone. It makes no difference to me. <laughs> this is general guidance. Don't marry an unbeliever. Unequally yoked. Unequally yoked. We'll get into specifics of equally yoked in another day. If the Lord tarries to come. If the Lord tarries to come and you are not taken, then get married. Others will be getting married there. General guidance. Psalm 119 verse 105. Thy word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We walk on our feet and we walk on the path. Now it's not talking about today. It's talking about old days when they held a lantern. How much light did it give? This much. You took one step. As you moved, light progressed. That's all how God will give you. Lord, give me light for 2022. He said, still in 2021. It provides light for the feet and the path. It may not show distant future. But it will show enough for each day. The general first. Once you have learned to walk by the general light of God. Your ears will be tuned to this specific. Lord, I will not marry an unbeliever. Good child. Lord, when I want to marry, I want to be equally yoked, Lord. You know I am Pentecostal. You know I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know I speak in tongues. You know, Lord, I've been in the kingdom for so long, Lord. Father, I want a man who can lead me spiritually. God said, I get it. I get it. Will you wait? It's difficult to find those kind of men today, so wait. Anyone won't do, any believer won't do for me, Lord. Are you getting the picture? Second Corinthians 6.14 Our favorite. Do not be unequally so what is marriage? It's a yoke. Marriage is a yoke. Now let's go to Matthew 11, 29, 30 because this is the problem with believers. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The problem is you are already yoked to Jesus. Jesus, the great ox, you, the young cow, are walking together and you bring a donkey along. What does a donkey do? So you make a choice. Do I go with him or do I go with him? In every 
every case, almost 99.99% where I have seen a Christian marrying a non-Christian, they have compromised. Because that's the only way your marriage will survive. They compromise. The children grow up as unbelievers. You know why? Because you were already yoked to the king. Marriage is a yoke. But remember, if you're a believer and a child of God, you are already yoked to Christ Jesus. You got a yoke of Christ on you. And when you are bringing somebody in, remember it's a three-stranded cord who will be the third person. Will that person go around Christ? Allow Christ to rule his or her life or not? It's a yoke. You have to compromise. You have no choice. Otherwise your marriage will not survive. And if you refuse to compromise, the marriage breaks up. Remember yesterday's verse, Jeremiah 28, 13. Go tell Hananiah, saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood and you have made in their place yokes of iron. We are living the history context, just looking at the principle, okay? You were a believer. You were happy with the Lord. You enjoyed church. You enjoyed the fellowship of believers and it was a yoke of wood. And then you tripped. You married an unbeliever. For a season, everything seems to be okay. And after that, the yoke of wood was broken and you have a yoke of iron. You are in slavery in your marriage. You are in slavery in your marriage. You go ask anybody who's married that way. It is true. You broke the yoke of wood and put on a... Because anyway you are yoked, you put on a yoke of iron. That's why we keep telling do not do it. The consequences in the long run will be unbearable. Eternally too. Because they give in to their emotions and feelings and break the yoke of wood. And they will always post their pictures how happy they are. And their happiness is always connected with things. We have a good job. We have a good house. What has that got to do with the kingdom? Do you know why you got a good job? Do you know why you have so much money? Because you compromised. You compromised. It's the price of compromise. That's what I say. Nothing that you hear today will make sense unless you have obeyed the first rule. That is the rules of separation. If you have not left the world for Christ, nothing you heard today will remain in your head. It will go by the time you got out. Separation is the first thing. That's what salvation is. I am separated from the world, separated unto God. All the other teachings are only for separated people. Those who heard Peter's word, be separate from this perverse generation. Receive that word and die to that world in baptism. They received doctrine. Others received sayings. So you need to ask yourself, what do I believe? You are not what you look like. All of you look very good. You are how you think. Do you know you can believe in something 
even when you don't know what it is named do you know all those who are hearing me maybe even in this hall and online there are many communists who are listening many feminists who are listening many humanists who are listening many socialists who are listening how did you become that by what you watched and what you heard there are ideas permeating you are not what you look like you are how you think there are militant feminists sitting here there are violent socialists sitting over here there are lord of broad minded humanists sitting over here that is why you do not have convictions according to the kingdom because your mind has been manipulated by all you watched through the day and all you have read and heard you are not who you are you are who have you think what is a kingdom person a kingdom person who has surrendered his mind to the lordship of the word of god this is the truth nothing but the truth so save me help me oh god i stick to this i will live by this i will die by this that is lordship so i always here and i'm not even offended i don't agree with pastor james you don't have to agree with me. my question is do you agree with this ask dr richard every message we give you at least 75 50 references so that your faith will not rest on my wisdom it will rest on the word of god we do not give you a premise without backing it up with the word of god because this is not my word it is his word i too will live and be judged by the same word not just you that's why the word of god says the word of god is a double edged sword not a single episode so the pastor uses to cut the heads of the congregation no first his his head is cut off i have to ask yourself where do i stand oh lord where do i stand for there are rules go back to the past few sundays and listen to the rules of separation and so many people are not yet separated i'm not saying about being physically separated i'm being separated in your mind in your mind you're absolutely separated and you will be consistently working on separating your mind that you do not think like the world no longer think like the world and automatically it will start having its effect in the choices you make not only that it will start making the fellowship you make Let me give you a simple example. Simple old fashioned example to girls and to boys. When the world touches a young boy, it touches his hair first. When the world touches a young girl, it touches her dress first. So all surrendered girls before you pick a boy, you don't know him, but look at his hair. If his hair is up and going around, don't choose him because he's already in the world. and all boys who's looking for a girly girl don't look her on sundays try to see how she's dressed on monday to friday and if she's not modest don't pick her because the world has already touched her and i can give you scripture after scripture after scripture for that because that's what a nazarene was his hair showed him his separation only visible sign in israel anybody knew there was a man separate under god they looked at his head the new covenant is doesn't even nature teach you that men need to have short hair they all had short hair so if a man grew a hair it was not fashion he was separated unto god today people who grow their hair are not separated unto god they are separated unto the world 
know them. Mark them and says, you know what? I see an outward sign. I don't know your heart. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. I am a man. I see your outside. Thank you, Lord. Save me from trouble. And man, the other way. Peter, Paul will all say, sisters, women, dress with modesty, with shamefacedness and sobriety. Fashion will change. Modesty never changes. Never changes. Never ever changes. Because it's a hallmark of the God in you. Because even though there was no man outside the garden, he covered his man and his woman and sent them out. Mark. Mark these things. Those who are young and unmarried. Simple. Don't go into step two. Look carefully. Look carefully. Because only after separation comes fellowship. And so much of fellowship is so carnal and so shallow because it is impossible to have a deep fellowship with people because they are not separated. So what do we do? We have to talk about the weather, about the food, about the clothes and old experience. That's all. Because if you go into deeper things, it goes over your head. And God wants to talk deep things to you because the Bible says deep calls unto deep. What is the level of your fellowship? What's the level of your fellowship? Now, if you are not separated and you don't have deep fellowship, where does oneness come from? For he who is joined to the Lord is one in the spirit with him. Where is the answer to prayer? The world is reeling under problems. It's going to hell in the the handbasket. Who are there to pray like Moses and stand in the gap and say, Lord, stop the wrath. He was one with God, separated from Egypt, all of Egypt. And separate from the rest of Israel too. Stood there alone. Fellowshiped with God. One with God. And God listened to him and stopped the wrath. Otherwise Israel would have been destroyed. That's what I'm talking about. Kingdom marriage. Kingdom purpose. Overrules everything else in our life. That's Paul on the road to Damascus. What will you have me do Lord? It will be told you. How long do I have to wait? You must have thought. Three days. That's all. This is my purpose for you. And the Bible says, years and years, King Agrippa, King Felix, I have not been unfaithful to that vision. I've run on that vision all my life. Never, ever looked back. Look back. We're talking about serious things. Serious things. Absolutely serious things. Which will matter forever and ever in your life. Ever and ever in your life. Ever. So if you are not married, don't get discouraged. The only thing that's not a good man, good enough for you. God says, you're too good for this man. Wait for me. I'm coming. Or if you are a man who's not got a girl, don't worry. There was no girl good enough for you. Because he wants a helper who's comparable. He sets the terms of the marriage. Don't get discouraged and upset and say, my biological clock is ticking. Let it tick. Who cares? God is the one who touched a 90-year-old woman's womb and made it new and touched a 99-year-old man and made him alive. Who cares about biology? There's a God above biology here. So don't worry about those things. What matters is, Lord, have surrendered to your will and your purpose. And I want you to come into my life either single or in marriage. I don't want anything outside that. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to your table. This is your table. 
This is a table you instituted to show your love for us. For you lay down your life for us so that one day you could receive us unto yourself, Lord. In so many ways, this is a table of your marriage so that you would receive a bride for yourself, Lord. And I pray, Father, as we take part of the elements of your body and your blood, we will be truly be sanctified, healed, made strong, and determined in our purpose to serve you and you alone, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 May I be with Zealous about these things. Because this is this final promise before the day of the Lord comes. The final promise is He would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Meaning, before Christ comes, there will be one more final move of God to restore the homes. And the mothers are not mentioned there because the women have come under lordship. Men have come under the lordship. The children have come under the Lordship. And that's the final revival. Because the basic unit of society is the home. And God is a man of the home. But God is a family man. The home is... Don't look to the governments. The governments can't do any of these things. There's only one person who can do it. It is God. And God begins from the individual to the home. Once the homes are restored, He takes His bride home. Revival doesn't come from any other place. It comes when men, women and children in a home come under the power of the Holy Spirit and come under the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and say no to the world. We are in the world. We are not of it. We are not of it. We completely surrender. Otherwise we will be misfits in the kingdom that is coming. Because the kingdom that is coming will be completely, totally opposite to the world we are living in. So don't get too comfortable. Be very uncomfortable in this world. You will be very comfortable in the kingdom that is come. Don't think like the world. Don't think like the world. Think like a kingdom person. And if you are single, wait. Wait. If you are married, wait. And say, Lord, restore, restore, restore. You are a God of restoration. Restore. If you are, if you are a widow, a single parent, Ask. I was telling yesterday, you look in the Bible, God is there everywhere. 
before Abraham would name God as Jehovah Jireh, Hagar, the first single mother in the Bible, would name God as the Lord who sees me. And God is the God of the single mother. Jeremiah 3 verse 8, God says, I gave unfaithful Israel a bill of divorce and sent her away. God is divorcing. God is the God of the single mother. God is the God of the divorcee. God is the God of the married. God is the God of the single because his son is still single and he is God. So it doesn't matter what state you are in. Just wait and say, Lord, touch me, restore me, bring under the Lordship, your Lordship. Teach me every day, Lord. Give me sufficient light for each day. For your word is a lamp unto my path. A light unto my unto my feet and a light unto my path. Teach me each day, one day at a time, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you. The whole world is broken. They're looking to governments for solution. But solutions do not come from government. It comes from you. Only you. You told that day to Pilate, those who are on the side of truth, they listen to me. They hear my voice. Help us to be separated by your truth even today in our hearts, in our minds. To you. Because salvation is of the Lord. Only your right hand can work that work of salvation in our lives. The work of healing and restoration in our life. Rebuild our lives and our homes. Only you can do it. Individuals and homes and families. Only you can. And I come in the church. Every person standing here, here around the world. Broken, bruised. By toxic patriarchy. By toxic feminism. Everything out there in the world is toxic. Because they take what is good and make it evil. But you are able to turn it around for our good Lord. And I pray we will come back to the beginnings. And we will be able to say, no, I am not going that way. Because for it was not so in the beginning. We will go back to the beginning. How you intended a man to be. How you intended a woman to be. How you intended a marriage to be. How you intended a home to be. Take us back to that Lord and restore us. So that you can be that part of that home. The head of that home. That you can truly live with us and be comfortable in our homes, O Lord. That you can say, like you said, that when you passed through Bethany, you had a home where you were comfortable. You would be able to say that about our lives and our homes. Comfortable in our homes. I commit each one into the hands. Be with us, Lord, this ninth month. Go with us. Go before us. Do something spectacular in our lives, Lord. There are so many waiting, Lord. And you said, Lord, sanctify yourself for God shall do amazing things in your midst. Even as the word of God and spirit of God sanctifies us, we leave it rest to you. You will do amazing things in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen and amen.